Alrighty, guys, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in. Sorry, I forgot to put the timer on or ask for the timer to put on. Sort of need some kind of transition to be able to move in. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be back in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. As you you get the scriptures ready, just a a brief reminder where, you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians now. We're actually right near the end. Um, We're coming through. We've got about six messages or so left. We've seen in the first three chapters, God's gracious and amazing plan to save a people for himself. And then out of that plan, we've seen God pull together this new creation, these new people, this new humanity to live in his world um, in totally new ways, that they're to depart from their old way of life and live in the new. Uh, And we've seen that they're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to put off the old, put on the new, to live kind and loving lives, imitating God, putting off the deeds of darkness, walking in wisdom, making the best use of the time. Then last week we saw that um, we had to be spirit or last time spirit filled Christians, that we actually have this opportunity, this power from God to be full of the Holy Spirit. Um, And that spirit filled living means that we're full of joy. We overflow in singing. We overflow into thanksgiving. Uh, And we actually overflow into living a life of submission to one another, serving one another. Uh, And that's what the spirit-filled Christian looks like. And then in all part of the same argument, Paul goes on to outline the spirit-filled Christian submits to one another. And then he outlines a whole bunch of different relationships in the household, the Christian household, about what submission looks like in light of the gospel. And so we're going to take the next four weeks to look at this, what's called the household code and kind of uncover um, God's plan for households and families. As we look at God's plan for the the Christian household, um, we're going to see, you know, this kind of jigsaw piece all come together. But I want to say at the outset that I'm aware for many of us, um, when we look at the, the, the pattern of God's you know, picture for families that for most of us, if not all of us, well, really all of us in some degree, um, some more than others, uh, the pattern doesn't quite line up with our lived experience, uh, that there's been, you know, sin, death, distortion. And so as we jump in and look at these big picture patterns for what God's ideal is uh, and God's, you know, picture of the family, I want to be sensitive and aware that not all of our families look the way we want them to. Not all of our circumstances look exactly how we wish that they were. Um, But God's grace will meet us wherever we're at, wherever we're at in the family, in our life stage, in our singleness, in our marriage, um, in our divorce, in, you know, death and children and not being able to have children. Wherever we're at in that life stage, God's grace will meet us as we read these passages. And so I just wanted to say at the outset that I want us to be sensitive to that. And as things come up that may be hard to hear, they may be offensive, or they may be condemning because you feel like, oh, I fall so far short. Let's not lose sight of the ground of all these commands, which is the grace of God displayed in Christ Jesus, that he has liberated us from our failures. And bit by bit, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can put the pieces back together. So today, what I wanted us to do is to do an overview message of chapter 5, verse 21, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9, um, because I think it'll help us to gain a vision for the Christian household. And that's the title of today's message. 
a vision for the Christian household. And then in the coming weeks, we'll jump into wives and husbands, children and parents, and then slaves and masters, um, which will be an interesting week too. So today we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. That's Ephesians 5, verse 21, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. But be filled with the Spirit, submitting one to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the husband see that she respects her husband. Sorry, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
A number of weeks ago when the crisis was just beginning to happen, Scott Morrison said that one of the essential things that you're allowed to do as a family was to go to the shops and buy a jigsaw puzzle. Now, whatever you think of that, it's not something that I'm going to rush out and do because jigsaw is a thing of a terror to me. There's nothing enjoyable about a jigsaw puzzle in my books. But for some people, for some families, they love to get a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, throw it down, spread it out, turn all the pieces over and start the 15 million hour task of trying to put all the pieces together. You know, and as each family does it, everyone has their own little tips. But in our family, when we're doing jigsaws and just for the side, I like the baby jigsaws when there's three pieces and it's very quick. I feel very accomplished at the end of that. I don't like the long ones. But how do you know how all the pieces fit together? Well, in our family, Maddie always says, we'll gather all the kind of side pieces and do the edge first. And then you start to gather the color pieces and put them together so you can see which way they go. But the first step, before you do anything else, to be able to put the jigsaw together properly is you've got to look at the box. You've got to look at the picture so you have some kind of an idea of what you're actually trying to build. See, when you look at the box, you can start to figure out where all the pieces are meant to go, the edge pieces and the color pieces, and, and you can start to lay them out and, and order things and put them in the right place. As we come to Ephesians, um, this section, which is often called the household code, what we see is Paul showing the Ephesian Christians sort of how to put the puzzle pieces together. He's showing them where each piece fits in the puzzle. And as we read it, we can be very concerned and think, okay, which, which is my piece and where does it go and how does it fit? And, oh, it, see, it seems a bit odd. These pieces don't seem to fit together. I, I don't sort of like this word submission or I don't like, you know, all these terms and slaves. And you think, oh, how does it all work? And Paul gives us a, a clear example of how the pieces fit together. But before we jump into the mechanics of how to slot each piece where, I thought what we needed to do was actually take a step back and look at the picture from the box. I wanted us to gain a big picture of what the Christian household is all about. And so today's big question that we're going to look at is, what is the purpose of the Christian household what is the big picture of the christian household so to speak what is the box that we're actually looking at because living a gospel-centered uh, having a christian household is not just about putting the pieces in the right order it's about building the right picture and so to do that we need to have an overview of the whole section and indeed all the scripture to be able to get a sense of what that really looks like so what is the big picture of the christian household what's the box that we're looking at so that we can take ephesians 5 and 6 and put the pieces in together well here's my one sentence description that i think may help us to to gain a grasp of this the christian household is an ordered fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus Christ. The Christian household, this is the big picture, is an ordered, fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus Christ. 
That's the, the vision and the picture that the Bible gives us of what our households are meant to look like, what they're for, what their purpose is, what we're trying to build. And so to uncover that, we're going to look at three points today. The Christian household is ordered. The Christian household is fruitful. And the Christian household is on a mission. What household are you trying to build in your family? Whatever your circumstance is right now, what's the big picture that you're running off? And we're going to ask today, does it line up with the Bible's big picture? So let's jump in to point number one. The Christian household is ordered. Admittedly, it's not the most glamorous way to begin, but it's a foundation that we cannot skip over. Indeed, it's actually one of the foundations that I'd lost sight of in my reading of the scripture when I was um, trying to figure out how to lead our family. I didn't have this piece down pat. But the first thing that we need to see, the first thing that we need to note is that through Paul, God himself is addressing our families. It's God's word to us in Ephesians and throughout all the Bible. God speaks into the families. God orders and designs and structures all of our family lives. The Christian household is first and foremost ordered by God and his word. The family, the family as a unit is not a product of evolution. It's not just, you know, caveman came out of the cave and tried to figure out how to live and they thought it'd be better to stay together in their family groups. That's not how the household came about. That's not how the family came about. It was designed by God. The family is not a product of the government. States and institutions haven't said, well, it's better to organize our state so we should have families and make people stay in families. That's not why we have families. We have families by the design of God. Families come from a creator. Families are part of God's creational reality. They're inescapable. They're built into the fabric of our universe. And so they are ordered by God and his word for our good. We don't have the authority to shift and make up the family as we like because God created the family. And he orders the family and he does it by his word and he does it for our good. So how has God ordered the Christian household? What kind of order does he give? And this is very controversial in our time, but hasn't been in most of human history. Right from the beginning of the Bible, we see that God has a plan and a pattern for families. And in that plan and pattern, there is an inbuilt hierarchy, order, and authority structure to make it work best. There's an inbuilt hierarchy and authority structure to order the family and make it work best. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God as the creator, the ultimate authority who creates all things by the power of his word. But then we see that God gives life to Adam. And to Adam, he gives the responsibility himself to keep and maintain the garden. He delegates his authority to Adam. And then for Adam, God creates Eve, a helper to help Adam with the task 
of working and keeping the garden. And out of the fruit of Adam and Eve's relationship, children are to come as submissive partners with their parents who will one day be sent out and to make families of their own in the earth. We see an inbuilt hierarchy and authority structure in God's design, something that we cannot escape, nor should we want to. You see, God has placed himself at the top and then husbands, wives, and children. It's controversial to say, but it's inescapable in the Bible's pattern. And this is a pre-fall reality. This is God's best for families, is for families to be ordered according to this hierarchy and structure. All members of the family are equal in the image of God and dignity and value and worth, but God has structured them to have a hierarchy and an authority structure so that they are well led. No matter how much it goes against our natural logic, feels, or culture, this pattern is repeated and reaffirmed all the way through the Bible. Even though it is distorted by sin, it is never discarded. And when it is followed, we see in Israel's story, things go well for them. And when this hierarchy is flipped, like Genesis 3, things go horribly wrong. And then we come to the New Testament. And we see that the gospel, the, the saving work of Jesus Christ, doesn't obliterate hierarchy, structure, order, and authority. But instead, it actually reaffirms the same pattern, which is what we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 22 to 24. Reaffirms the pattern, but also transforms it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The gospel story of Jesus now becomes not an obliteration of the hierarchy, but the foundation and the model for it. The world in which we live has radically departed from this model. We now celebrate egalitarian homes, workplaces, churches, and political structures. We want flatter management in business, and we want politicians to obey the polls and do what the people tell them to do. We shudder at the word authority, and even more at the word submission. But these are terms which the Bible not only uses, it celebrates because they are instituted by God for our good. You see, for any community or organization to flourish, it must be led. And God, in his grace, has given the leadership of the home to the fathers, to the husbands, so that the home may flourish. It is not because men are better or smarter or more capable. It is simply because God chose them and gave them the job. If we buck against this pattern, we aren't bucking against the curse or the fall or Satan. We are in fact opposing God. 
This is why so much of modern feminism is so destructive because its aim is to distort and flip this order and turn it on its head. Most of feminism indeed resembles Genesis 3 and not Genesis 2, even if good outcomes have been born out of it. I'm going to say something very controversial now, but I believe this is what the Bible teaches. Patriarchy, when well-led, is good. That is how God ordered the world before the fall and how he reaffirms the ordering, reaffirms the ordering of families. The fathers, the husbands are the head and they lead their home. Their authority is given by God for the good of the home, not for themselves. Therefore, out of this hierarchy comes an order and out of this order comes roles and responsibilities or duties that are given to each member of the household. So we all play a part. We all have a role to play, but it fits within, if you like, the, the picture of a triangle, the kind of the organizational chart of the family. And that's sort of the first big picture that we need to see when we're trying to put together the puzzle of the family, that there's an org chart and it's hierarchical as much as we don't like it. We see that husbands are the head and that they are to lead and love their families. Wives are the helper and they are called to lead, uh, sorry, to respect and submit. Fathers are the head of their children and are called to discipline and make disciples of their kids primarily. Children have a role to honor and obey their parents. Slaves are even enjoined to work hard for their masters and obey them. And masters are called to treat their slaves as if God were present with them, judging them based on their attitude. Each member of the, the ancient household is given a new, is given a role and is given duties that they have to perform. These are not optional extras. These are not like, if you feel like submitting, submit, or if you feel like leading, lead, but if you can swap them around and different people can take the leadership roles, that's not how it works. It fits within the order that God has given. And this is how it makes homes flourish. When, when the family fits into the order that God has given. And what will be amazing to see as we go through each one of these roles and responsibilities is how the gospel radically transforms this order by transforming each of our roles and responsibilities. So that in a sense, they're turned upside down, but they're still the right way up in a weird way. They, it kind of flips it all and makes it the motivation and the power structure and everything different, but it's still a hierarchical power structure for the good of the family. So a question, this first big picture, have you embraced this order, this pattern for the family? I know it's hard. How do these words land on you? Leadership, submission, roles, duties, order. It goes against our flesh, doesn't it? Our education, you know, our culture, our world. But in fact, this is God's best for us. This is God's grace to us. So the first big picture of the jigsaw that we need to see, if we're trying to put together the jigsaw of the family, the Christian household, we need to see like the first frame 
is a triangle, like the old organizational chart with God, fathers, husbands, wives, and children um, at the bottom. And the God has ordered the Christian family for our good. The Christian household is an ordered, fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus Christ. So if point one is that the Christian household is ordered, what is that order for? What is the purpose of God ordering and making this kind of household work? What, why, what is God trying to get done? Well, that leads us to point number two. The Christian household is fruitful. Point number two, the Christian household is fruitful. What is the purpose of the Christian household? What is the order for? Well, we see very clearly from Scripture in Genesis that the purpose of the Christian household is to be fruitful. The household is ordered so that it may be fruitful. We don't order our household merely to be efficient, to get through our to-do list, to get life done, but in order that we may bear beautiful, productive, amazing fruit in the world, life-giving fruit, and that in abundance. This is what God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. Now, remember, when we read Genesis, this is not just a historical story of what happened and it was good for Adam and Eve. This is the archetype for all humanity. This is the pattern for all humanity. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image or in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So firstly, they're given dominion. So take order of the world. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. So we see equality. And then verse 28. And God blessed them okay so now god this is god's blessing to them this is god breathing life into their marriage and family relationship and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth god orders the family so that the family may bear fruit and spread over all the earth, taking control of God's world. There's two parts to this command. Have dominion and be fruitful and multiply. The have dominion part is sort of what we're talking about in point one, to be ordered, to, to, get, to kind of get everything into alignment so that the, the earth is working for you, not you for the earth. You clear the weeds, you clear the field, you, you build the house, you, you put walls up, you protect. You make machines, you build cultures, you subdue the earth, you make fishing rods and you fish. You, you know, the, the Christian household is meant to take dominion. It's meant to be ordered. It's meant to be in control. But not just to be in control. The point is, 
the second part, that we shall be fruitful and multiply. You see, God will help us to make it better. We're called to produce kids if you can and raise them up to bear fruit in the world, to love God and love neighbors, to make good things happen in our homes and in our neighborhoods, in our workplace and our churches, to bear good fruit, which comes out in the way that we speak, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we treat other people. To spread the glory of Jesus Christ over the earth. And what we have to realize is that although we are ordered to be fruitful, the fruit that comes is only a product of God's grace. Hence why it says, and God bless them, be fruitful and multiply. We can't make fruit happen. We're called to take dominion, to be ordered, to be in control, to structure our homes, to order it, to lead it, to you know, work hard, all those type of things. But only God can make the fruit come forth. Only God can produce the abundance that we seek. Therefore, if the purpose of our household is to be fruitful, if the, the long-term gain is that we order to be fruitful, then we ought to tend to our households like a farmer to his field because what we sow, we will reap. The image of sowing and reaping, this agricultural image is all throughout the Bible. It's to describe a general reality that we get out only what we put in. Now, obviously, God is gracious. And for many of our stories, we didn't live in an ordered and take dominion home where beautiful fruit was produced. Uh, we had pretty average homes or pretty destructive homes. And God is able to take even the worst of circumstances and make amazing things happen from it. That's his grace. But that's not meant to be the goal of our life is to let go and let God and just hope that, you know, wild, you know, vines go out and fruit is produced. No, the Christian household is to take dominion and to order the home so that fruit would be produced. In order to do that, we need to sow much seed. We need to clear much weed. We need to put up the walls. We need to protect. We need to work hard. We need to go by our brow. And then we trust it into God's hands that he will produce the fruit and that we will enjoy the fruit that we see. We can't expect to reap beautiful, abundant fruit in our family lives if we're sowing out there or not by biblical principles or not by taking dominion, but by just scattering seed here, there and everywhere and not actually having a picture or a plan or a purpose for what we're doing. This image of producing fruit, this, this, this purpose of fruit producing is repeated many times throughout the Bible. One such example is in Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So this is sort of like order. Remember, God's at the top. Fear him. Everything flows from that. What's the result? You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, think Genesis 1 again, and it shall be well with you. Look at this image. You're like a fruitful 
Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. It's a beautiful image. When we order and take dominion and work hard and go by God's principles, we will produce beautiful fruit in our family lives, whatever our family situation or our single situation looks like. So if the first big picture was that of sort of a triangle, you've got the hierarchical order. The second picture we need to see in the box of the jigsaw of the Christian household is that of a fruitful tree. You know, a a tree which is producing much fruit, big, juicy, amazing, pink lady apples. That's what we are trying to see happen in our homes. And it doesn't happen by accident. And if we're honest, and I'm honest, you know, I've wasted a lot of time. Um, I've I've let weeds into our home. I've I've not been leading. I've not taken dominion. I've not been thinking how to best make use of the time so that we can produce fruit. But the beautiful grace of the gospel is, is that God can redeem even our wasted time. And he can now take us wherever we're at in our circumstance. And when we pursue him, He promises in Genesis 1.28 that he will bless us and help us to multiply and fill the earth. So wherever you're at right now, especially husbands and fathers who are leading homes and leading family units, don't look back to your failures so much. Just look forward to the opportunity and the hope that lies before you. Fruit can be produced by the grace of God and things can turn around if you follow after him and rely on his powerful Holy Spirit to fill you in this task. So that was point number two. The Christian household is an ordered, fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to point number three, our final picture that we need to see what what is the point of the christian household what's the purpose what where do all the puzzle pieces fit well it's ordered it has to be ordered so that we can produce fruit number three the fruit doesn't just stay with us it's meant to spread all over the world point number three the christian household is on a mission the christian household is on a mission. The ultimate purpose for the family is not to stop at being a well-ordered, fruitful tree for ourselves, but to share the fruit with the world. The Christian household is on a mission. Look back at Genesis 1.28. Notice how it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Originally, Adam and Eve were the only two humans. They were to procreate, make babies, and to literally fill the earth with more images of God. And the point was so that the image of God, which is the glory of God, would spread and cover the entire world. That was the original plan of creation. But now we see that this is changed by Jesus or adapted by Jesus to be a new great cultural mandate. What Jesus or what we call the Great Commission. See, the Christian household now is to be on a mission to spread not just the glory of God the Father, but the glory of Jesus Christ. So the first image was a triangle. 
The second image is a sort of a tree. The third image is a lighthouse because we share the glory of Jesus Christ by imaging him as families. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that the mystery of marriage is Christ and the church. The whole point of marriage was to show that Jesus Christ saves his people. The, the marriage has always been designed to display Jesus Christ. And so our Christian households fall into that same purpose. Our marriage is not just for ourselves. It's to share light to the world of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where we see Jesus take the cultural mandate and turn it into the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, notice again, authority, order, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, see, like similar to Genesis 1, and make disciples of all nations, procreate in a sense, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now through Jesus, every Christian is on a mission to make the name of Jesus famous in all the world by making disciples of Jesus Christ, beginning with the babies in our household and then raising them up as disciples, teaching them all that they had to do and then sending them out to leave and cleave to make new households where they share the light of the glory of Jesus Christ as they go. The Christian household is always stuck with this sort of inner centripetal force. It always sort of bends inward to the home and, you know, the kids and the family. But we have to work against that because we've been sent on a mission by God in Genesis 1 and by Jesus the Son in Matthew 28 to go out, to take dominion, to bear fruit so that we can share the fruit of our households, the the, the character, the love, the joy, the hospitality, the worship, the message of Jesus with the world. And so the Christian household is built upon the gospel, birthed by the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ. And from that foundation, we spread it out into the world. The Christian household is on a mission. We're not just here for ourselves. That's why the church is the household of God and everyone is welcome and involved. Our nuclear families aren't meant to just be us inside. We're meant to include all the, the single, the divorce, the widow. It's meant to be this beautiful picture of what God can do, uniting heaven and earth through the power of the gospel. The Christian household is an ordered, fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus Christ. That's the box that we're looking at. As we read through the rest of Ephesians and we try to think out how do wives and husbands and children and parents and how do all the pieces fit together? This is what we're aiming for. This is obviously not everything the Bible teaches, but I think this is a big picture, an ordered, fruitful force for the global glory of Jesus.
Now, the reality is, is that we don't live all perfectly fitting the pattern. No one does. We don't. No family does. We don't fit into the big picture perfectly. And we live with jagged pieces and sort of, you know, when you have a jigsaw and it's missing that one bit and it doesn't really fit and it pops out and it doesn't look right. And we all live in that reality. No one is exempt from that. Every family is broken. Every family is messed up to some degree. And so what are we meant to do with this message, this big idealistic message? The aim is not to remake the ancient world and go back to agrarian culture. The aim isn't also to remake the 1950s and go back to kind of that culture. No, God's aim for us is to remake a broken world, one jigsaw piece puzzle at a time. We may not be able to ever put the whole picture back together, but wherever our family situation is at now, wherever your circumstance is, and it's so varied, it's hard to apply to everyone. Our calling from this message is to try as best we can through the power of the spirit and put pieces back where they can go so that we can be a part of building this grand picture for all the world to see. The gospel liberates us from having to have a perfect family. We can't have one. That's why the gospel exists because there are no perfect people. There are no perfect families. Jesus Christ is the perfect one who perfectly lived under the order. He himself submitted to God. He himself had a fruitful life. And he himself began the seed that spread the global glory of God. And so Jesus Christ is the hope of our families. Jesus Christ is the center of our families. And Jesus Christ is the example for all of our families. Our aim is to remake a broken world one jigsaw piece at a time as best we can in community, asking questions, confessing sin where we've failed, repenting of our failure, asking for the spirit to fill us and going again and again at trying to remake that beautiful puzzle that God has given us. The Christian household is ordered. The Christian household is fruitful, like a, a beautiful tree producing fruit. And the Christian household is like a, a lighthouse, shining light into the world, displaying Jesus Christ, so that all may taste and see that he is good. May it be that God does a thing in our household, in my household, in yours, where we change little bit by little bit and experience the beauty of God's pattern. And as you try and figure out what this looks like, may I encourage you, keep asking questions. Don't be quiet. You know, if you've got doubts, concerns, if you've got hurts and brokens that are coming up as we talk about this, find someone safe and appropriate to talk to them about, to pray and talk to God about them as we deal with it all. And I expect, I expect God to meet us with much grace as we try and build this big picture of the Christian household. When you pray with me and then we'll sing, asking God for his kingdom to come in the earth and display his glory to the nations. Dear God, we thank you that we get to be a part of this beautiful thing, even though it's so broken and jagged, the Christian family, the family. It is a gift from you, no matter how distorted or 
um, broken or missing the pieces may be. Lord, would you please help us to remake a broken world by in our spheres, in our different contexts, ordering our lives after your order, taking dominion so that we may bear fruit. And so we would take that fruit and spread it throughout the earth for the glory of your son. Oh, and may he be glorified through our families, through our households, and through this church, the household of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.